Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Tech Trends Podcast, where we discuss the latest manufacturing technology research and news. I am Benjamin Moses, the Director of Technology, and I'm here with... Stephen Lamarca, Manufacturing Technology Analyst. Steve, welcome to 2020 Episode 2. <laughs> 2020 Episode 2, but we do realize it is 2021. Let's just clear that up. Nothing has changed for me, man. It is the same year over and over again. <laughs> That's the worst part, is it hasn't... I, okay, we're only almost halfway through january yeah but it still feels exactly the same and to be fair i mean it's just a, a date change a, a year change is not that i know i don't yeah. i don't know what i was expecting it makes me feel like a big dumb dumb because it's like yeah you really thought a number going up plus one because you made a revolution around the sun is gonna uh change anything no wrong how is your holidays People by the way? up to their same shenanigans how my hall I would say it went well because I, I didn't really do anything. <laughs> Good. Best Christmas present. Yeah. Um, I got an air fryer. For oh Christmas. man, it'll change your life. Best best Christmas present. <laughs> it, you know, at least in the uh, recent past. That's a long pause for that. Dude, uh... it's it's really awesome. <laughs> I've been making. Dude, I've made so many mozzarella sticks. Eighty percent of Amelia's meals are made in the air fryer. <laughs> nice. I mean, it's hard to go wrong. It's, I, I, as a, as, I would imagine as a parent having an air fryer is probably like having a third parent. Oh yeah, definitely. You know? Once you figure out the settings and how well how well certain things cook, you can just yeah. fire and forget. It's great, and you feel like chef like in sciency, <laughs> playing with the settings to get it just right. But you know you're not doing anything; <laughs> no. it's doing all of the work for you. It's such a good and you feeling. get the like good old pat on the head because it's like and it's healthy because you're not <laughs> dunking it and boiling oil. I did the uh, burgers in that once and. <gasps> There's really? so, so much fat drained to the bottom. I was like, I'm eating healthy today. No, it's a giant burger. <laughs> oh, man, it was such a good feeling. I can't imagine an uh, air fried burger. <laughs> All right, let's. Uh, I do use it. To, go ahead. No, go ahead. Go ahead. I do use it to uh, uh, cook a bake a uh, personal pizza every now and then. Oh, that's cool. And so I'm used to the, these personal pizzas that I buy from the store. Um, or uh, um, they're supposed to take 30 minutes right. at 375. And I like, like when I was using the regular oven or regular stove kitchen oven, um, I would set it to 350 because I think it just cooks it a little bit more thorough and all the way through. And so I tried, you know, my 350 settings in the air fryer. It's a, it's a combination air fryer toaster oven. Right. And so I just set it to bake instead. And, I tried it in a toaster oven thinking that a toaster oven works the same as like a conventional oven. Nope. I didn't realize toaster ovens, at least with this thing, when it's on toaster oven mode, it cooks so much faster. <laughs> That's funny. Like a conventional yeah. oven, you know, it's those pizzas would take a half hour yeah. to cook. Right. Uh, this thing can cook the same pizza in like 10 to 15 minutes. That's funny. It's wild. And I'll even get some like burnt ends on it. Yeah. By the way, if you do decide to uh, cook a burger in it, be careful. There's a lot of smoke. <laughs> That's something we oh, didn't okay. anticipate. <laughs> okay. Just a heads up. I'm not going to do it again, uh, but I recommend you do it. <laughs> I, I will not be doing that now. I did uh, I did uh, air fry some um, battered beer-battered codfish fillets in oh, it. That's great. And it was delicious. Right. 
but a lot of grease yeah. came yeah. out of those. Yeah. I had no idea. Like you think like air fryer can't make that much mess. No, no. It's, it's it makes messy. a mess. Yeah. The, like key is, a, the key is finding one that uh, is uh, dishwasher safe. We dishwash that every single day. We use it so much. But, yeah. Like the, the drip tray that yeah. we have yeah. or that it has, like there's a basket that's dishwasher safe. Right. And then there's like a baking sheet that fits perfectly in the little sides of the, the oven. Cause right. it's, it's a toaster oven air fryer combo. And that thing said it wasn't mm-hmm. dishwasher safe. So I take it out one day, like after like the third day of using it, um, take it out. I was like, maybe it's a good time to, to hand wash it, start scrubbing at it. Stuff's not coming off. I'm like, <laughs> to hell with it. I'm just throwing it in the dishwasher. The dishwasher. <laughs> Too bad. Like, if, if something says not dishwasher safe, if it's made out of metal, it'll be fine. You know, it's going in the dishwasher. Just put in the top. I'm sure, off. it might have some nonstick coating. Whatever, more oil is going to make it nonstick. <laughs> All right. Uh, you know, last episode we uh, cut our t- uh, our trends in uh, 2020 off a little early. Uh, there's two other topics I wanted to talk about. A little early. We went on an hour, and we're probably going to go on in for an hour <laughs> again today. Uh, the but la- yeah, what, what topic? <laughs> the first one is metrology. That's a. Uh, uh, a key topic for everyone. Everyone loves metrology, but nobody wants to talk about it. Yeah, it's it's not fair because we do love metrology. Yeah. Everybody is chasing after the almighty Micron, to quote uh, uh, Joel Neidig. Um, <laughs> but uh, he, uh, no, never mind. Um, yeah, everybody's chasing after that almighty Micron. Everybody's going right. after like the tightest tolerances and and you know perfect surface finish and whatnot. And you need metrology to tell you if you've attained that yeah but it like almost never pops up in the news just and it's not fair because we all like you said we all love metrology but nobody ever talks about it and it's unfortunate because it's it's just not sexy it's not a sexy technology but i love it yeah and it's it's great because in the manufacturing floor having the confidence that you produce something and knowing that what you produce is correct that level of confidence going to your customer helps a lot. So in the manufacturing floor, it builds a lot of confidence. But in the cost side, where it's val- it, it's not perceived as value-add sometimes, does kind of take put in, in a negative light. But I think to the point where the, the, the couple of trends that we've seen here that may shift metrology into a value-add scenario in most manufacturing floors uh, so the first one we've seen, like it's being integrated into other machine systems. So the ability to quantify yes. something, uh, form, shape, uh, you know, uh, whatever the material is uh, from other systems has grown quite a bit. So, um, you know, v- uh, metrology systems attached to other devices, either for yeah. motion control or being part of inspection systems of other processes has definitely seen quite a bit of growth. Yeah, or like like you said, an inspection system integrated into a manufacturing system, right, whether right. it's like a CNC machine mm-hmm. that can also fully inspect the part in between each process, yep. in, in between each uh, um, program of the same part. Right. You know, it can exp- like you see that a lot in uh, like closed loop gear manufacturing. Right. Yep. Absolutely. And the the other uh, areas of growth we've seen a lot of are vision systems, and you know. So you have uh, kind of two parallel paths that I've seen for vision systems. One is if I have if I have assembly, verifying that the parts are assembled on there in the general mm-hmm. correct orientation. A lot of vision systems can do that. Uh, it requires a lot of work, but being able to 
uh, hold a, an assembly, take a picture of it, verify that these components are in place. You know, Semicon has been doing that for quite a while, but seeing a lot of migration into uh, other durable goods. Uh, in addition to non-contact measuring, so not having to touch the part, you know, either through vision systems or laser systems also, uh, being able to uh, extract the dimensional information um, uh, is uh, very beneficial. Um, and the last part I've seen is data moving faster and more efficiently from metrology systems. So uh, there's a lot of, say, standards work on uh, what to do with the data and how to transmit that. And that's getting uh, more useful as other systems come into play. So being able to have the dimensional information of a part is incredibly useful on a lot of streams. One is if we look at, uh, you know, the term digital thread is kind of down, down a little bit, but being able to take that data and drive it upstream to the design data to say, hey, I want to make this whole what is my historical accuracy of this type of hole or features similar to that? That's very, very beneficial and trend, and that cascades to better manufacturing processes and cascades into a better part, better assembly for the end user. So being able to transmit their inspected data to the rest of the uh, engineering systems, uh, that's definitely seen a lot of growth uh, um, in the past couple of years and where we are today. Uh, transition from metrology, you know, we talked about integrating metrology into other systems. Subtractive has grown quite a bit too. And one of the uh, use cases uh, has grown quite a bit is uh, tool probes, right? We've seen a lot sure. of that. Uh, so being able to verify the tool um, and the value from verifying your tool, right? So even if uh, you're measuring the tool beforehand, you have a tool presetter, but having the confidence that what I put in the tool and what I'm going to cut with is right on is uh, amazingly uh, useful in the in the manufacturing world. And now I've also got the capability so transferring that capability uh, into being able to inspect in situation to after I've done my cut, being able to inspect the part that I have just cut in the scenario that you mentioned, so I can get the data either right then or it goes right from that machine process to a box that now ships out the door. So moving. Uh, metrology to point of view. So now there are risks of that, of course. So, you know, are you over restraining it as you machine it versus inspecting it? Do you have coolant? You've got uh, rough environmental conditions. Are you controlling the environment to, um, you know, the metrology standards? There's a lot of things involved with that, but the general trend is there that, you know, including uh, metrology as part of, uh, mm-hmm. you know, subtractive manufacturing processes is, is uh, grown quite a bit. For uh, sure. The other two uh, trends in subtractive are ease of use and ease of data collection. So being able to, I've got a part and I want to get it cutting chips, right? So for the longest time, that's been fairly difficult. You got to define your stock material, orientation, tooling. Oh my God, yeah. It's slowly, incrementally getting easier and easier to generate all those subcomponents to uh, get to basically a G-code and cut part, cutting chips yeah. quicker, right? So that... That's that process is accelerating, uh, to thankfully, uh, th- yeah, thankfully, and, and it's and it's it's probably uh, a little bit of a hat tip and a nod to additive, yeah. And you know it, it, what's funny is, um, you know, early three D printers, especially um, consumer grade 
additive machines like desktop 3d printers and stuff like that incredibly easy to use but then again they have to be because you know people at home with you know a high speed internet connection desktop computer you know flat screen tv and maybe an inkjet printer you know they're that's like the modern household compute computational technology you know it's the average person in a home isn't a machinist, right. you know, <laughs> right. you know, they, they don't know how, but, but, you know, a lot of 3d printer companies want 3d printers to become a household item, right. even though it's a little, at least th- th- this is, you know, years ago. Um, and you know, even not, forget 3d printers, look at like just using a printer, Sure. you know, when, when you open uh, Microsoft word or, is that what it's still called? <laughs> Microsoft Office Word, and and make a text document, and you click print, and it's sent to the printer, and the printer prints it off. Mm-hmm. Dude, a G code and an M code file goes to your printer. Sure, sure. Actually, well, actually, the document file goes to the printer. The printer does. The it printer the then can does all of the cam for you, right. and it does do cam. You know, it's just two dimensional, sure. uh, but it, it does all the same stuff that like, you know, a, a uh, manufacturing engineer and a uh, machine tool technician have to do when printing a part or, or producing a part. It's just, it's all, it's much more user friendly. Right. And I think it's about time the industry has caught up with, you know, <laughs> not even 3d printers, just regular inkjets, sure. man. Sure. And I mean, to be fair, so you know, for those guys uh, doing a lot of custom work and very complex work, there's a lot of, we'll call it tribal knowledge that's required to achieve those high accuracies. Um, but absolutely, the the comparison of tribal knowledge required to print something via additively or a 3D printer versus trying to do something subtractively, there's a significant learning curve trying to shift to a subtractive process. And you know, it's great to see that that. Oh yeah that learning curve is getting a little bit uh, shallower. Uh, the last thing I want to talk about subtractive is uh, collecting data, you know, being able to harvest data out of your machine for just factory dashboarding or when I get into advanced analytics or productive maintenance or predictive maintenance or just understanding is my machine running and how long it's been running. That's gotten significantly easier uh, over the past few years. And there's a lot more adoption of that uh, abil- uh, technology. Uh, the ecosystem of standards have grown quite a bit where uh, being able to implement and deploy uh, these uh, tools has grown easier. Uh, not the easiest things in the world, don't get me wrong. I, right. I, no. I'm not the smartest guy in the world, but it, it'll take me a bit of time. But, you know, for where we are today versus where we are uh, when I was a wee little guy, it, the technologies have grown uh, significantly. And it's, it's great to see that. Uh, the question, you know, the one thing that comes up a lot in a discussion of uh, data collection is where do I store the data? How do I store the data? You know, uh, cloud versus local um, configuration. So there's a lot of infrastructure questions that get raised on uh, data collection, but those are problems that will kind of solve itself once we once you start seeing the value from uh, collecting that data. Yeah. Steve, let's talk about uh, road tripping with Steve. You know, that was a big highlight for last year. You know, we talked about the American oh, Precision Museum. Uh, what are some other highlights from uh, that series? Dude, before I even kick it off with highlights, um, I'll start with I'm glad to hear that. Uh, and this was kind of known, but it's it's official as of last week and just reassured again today, this week, uh, that uh, it is in the process of 
they IMTS Network is in the process of uh, putting together the plan. Not no, putting together uh, the second season of Road Tripping with Steve. Awesome. So I'm really pumped for that. Congratulations. Um, but to do a recap and to do some highlights, you know, what? How did we get here to getting approved for a second season? Um, you know. Went all over New England. Um, my favorite stop, of course, was was Vermont. And, uh, you know, it has a special place in my heart uh, since I went to school there and studied physics up there. But, uh, you know, the American Precision Museum is, is the foundation, is the bedrock to which, you know, this entire industry came from. I've waxed poetic on that enough. So <laughs> let's move on. Um, you know, I've I've also hyped up the jar the awesome Jarvis family and right. them feeding me shoveling lobster <laughs> into my mouth when I was up there. Uh, that was a great time. A really awesome family family oriented company that uh, specializes in high speed steel taps. Right, and they are the way, the world's premier producer in high speed steel taps. Um, you know, then I went to Autodesk. You know, I've been to. Come on, buddy. I'm sorry. That's your dog getting uh, in the way there. He, he's sniffing the mic. Come on. Um, he. Uh, no. no uh, you know, been to Autodesk a uh, handful of times. Been to their West Coast ten, uh, Tech Center in uh, San Francisco on Pier Nine, handful of times. This was my first time last year going to uh, the East Coast Tech Center in cool. Boston on another pier. Yeah. Um, and you know. Don't really need to speak much more on that. You know, if you've heard of Autodesk, you know, you, <laughs> you know, Autodesk people, have, there's enough people other than me. They don't need me hyping up Autodesk. Sure. Um, but I did not give enough credit. I did not shine enough light on Sandvik. Okay. You know, if you know this industry, if you've been to any event in this industry, you've seen Sandvik, you know, you've seen Sandvik Coromat and their, uh, uh, depending on whether it's Sandvik Coromat or just Sandvik, you know, they're, they're red and yellow, logo or their blue and white logo or is it gray and blue um we know we more commonly we know the red and yellow one but um sandvik you know i i never really talked about my time at sandvik enough because and and i think it's because sandvik is a little intimidating and in the best way possible because they do everything. everything. They are they are top dollar company. Sure. They're a massive company. Right. Um, that is incredibly family oriented. Because I think everybody I spoke to at the facility, even though it was kind of like shut down for COVID, they were still in full operation. Mm-hmm. Just nobody was actually there, and the lights were off. Um, just because you know it was the peak of the <laughs> pandemic sure. when I was visiting. Um, but uh, all the people I spoke to were like had been there for like you know decades. Okay. Um, even the seemingly young looking people, um, (laughs) you know, and and they all have like family ties to Sandvik. They, you know, they had somebody in their family that worked there and it's just a really supportive company to work for. Um, and they do a lot of stuff with, uh, the government, the government contracts work. But, um, one of the things that recently happened act like within the past few days that really made me think more about Sandvik. Um, I sat down for dinner and threw on a movie on Netflix and I watched this movie chef came sure. out in either 2014 or 2016. Okay. Um, and movie chef, fantastic movie, highly re- recommend it. It's on Netflix watching chef. And it's about uh, a chef of, of course, he's the main character and he was, he's divorced. Um, 
and him and his ex-wife they had a son and his son wants to be more involved in his life and the chef because he's really passionate about cooking and he and he and he touches people's hearts by his work Mm -hmm. by by cooking um that's his passion and his son wants to get more involved in it but his father uh the chef doesn't see it and um Anyway, without spoiling too much of the movie, you know, their relationship starts to build and their first milestone in him and his little boy's um, relationship getting closer is, um, you know, the little boy is uh, doing a few more, doing some roles. He he really wants to be involved in the kitchen and the kitchen's no, no place for a little kid, but uh, you know, he proves himself to his father and when him and his father are going to buy some kitchen equipment uh, to um, ma- uh, put together a food truck, um, while they're picking up, you know, a $5,000 fryer and all this other, <laughs> a flat top grill right. for the food drop and, and spending a lot of money on, you know, throwing together this food truck, right as they're about to check out, uh, the chef, the main character, the father, um, says, oh, throw that onto my bill. And he points to a six-inch chef knife and gives yep. it to the little kid and is like, you know, you're with me now and this is your this is going to be your first knife. Cool. And, you know, my, my nerdy self picked that up right away and I noticed, dude, that's not just any six-inch chef knife. Mm-hmm. That is a Victorinox Fibrox. Not an incredibly expensive knife, like sure. very affordable, um, an antimicrobial Palmer handle. Mm-hmm. Um but the Victorinox Fibrox line of kitchen knives uses the blade is made out of a stamped steel, mm-hmm. uh, stamped sheet steel, um, and it's a Sandvik steel. Sandvik <laughs> produces that steel. That's, That's cool. how that, I promise all everything would come back to Sandvik. But I was just thinking, I was like, dude, it really is wild how Sandvik is evolved in just about everything. Sure, I mean, I have sure. a Kershaw pocket knife in my car that um has a sandvik steel okay um there there's a handful of tool companies like like i think weha uses uh sandvik they okay. might not i you'd have to check me on sure. that one but it's just it, that just got me thinking yeah you I'm, know i'm and glad your depth it, of knowledge of knives and knife <laughs> material goes down to the source company that it came from that's well that's, that's the, you know that's what i love so much about this industry is sure. like you know I remember when I first interned here or got, got the, uh, the intern, uh, I saw the, 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 the opening as an intern here at AMT. I was like, what the hell is the manufacturing <laughs> industry? Sure. And I was so happy to learn, you know, interning here. And, and now that I've been here for five years now, uh, that literally all of my passions come back, come full circle back to the manufacturing industry. Right. And it, and it's really just an awesome place to be. And, and Sandvik is just one of those companies that you have to know. Absolutely. And Sandvik, like the manufacturing industry, uh, has a piece in every pie. <laughs> like, <laughs> Touching even a little your bit passions, everything. man. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, they're everywhere. That's awesome. Let's talk about their next big thing. You know, we've talked about Australia potentially taking over the world. Now you mentioned Hyundai as a company that purchased yeah. um, Boston Dynamics, which of course produces and designed uh, the autonomous um, little robot dog. The robot dog Spot. Spot. Yep. Eighty thousand dollar dog. Seventy. Thought Charlie was expensive. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> 
Yeah. But um, yeah. So so Hyundai has established themselves as, if not the world's superpower in robot and automation technology. Right. They've definitely shown that they want to be okay. there. Yep. Like, and not even through saying it, just in their actions alone. All last year, we saw them, you know, they made their final, uh, Hyundai Motors made their final purchase order for um, robots outside of the Hyundai organization, the, right. the Hyundai uh, corporate right. uh, chart. Uh, they will never buy robots again from anybody else. They are now fully making their own robots. Now, yes, a couple months later, they did buy Boston Dynamics, but they didn't buy robots. They bought an entire company, <laughs> like which is wild. And, and like it, it just the actions like that show that they want to be a robotic superpower. Right. And it it really is. It should be eye opening to other companies, not just in robotics, but in manufacturing and any kind of technology in general that like if you if you want to be the next big thing you you got to have the energy that hyundai has that big hyundai energy and it, and it's wild and, and, and something so that was 2020 what's going on 2021 um i saw in a reuters article that apple has announced that they are going to partner with hyundai to make uh, there to, to go and start production of their autonomous electric vehicles. Mm, that's awesome. Um, their autonomous electric cars. So like what they really mean is electric cars that have the capability of being autonomous. And if that sounds familiar, um, who's already doing that? Tesla. That's right. Tesla's game right there. You know, Elon Musk's uh, Tesla Motors. Um, so Apple being, you know, a, a, another luxury good tech company yeah. uh if you would uh like tesla um they they want a piece of that pie they want a piece of that industry because right now tesla's dominating it there sure, are other companies sure. that make electric cars chevy makes the volt um nissan makes the leaf but the, the volt you know the volt's a nice car i'm sure the leaf is too that little thing Does if you want an electric around? smart car i think so but like but if you if you want if you want a nice electric car, you sure. buy a Tesla. Right. Apple wants a piece of that pie. Right. Apple wants to flex that, you know, that Gucci clad Instagram influencer muscle. Right. And right. so what does what does Apple do? Well, they 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 go to you know, Apple doesn't make cars. Right. Apple hasn't made a car. So the easiest way to get into an industry like that is instead of going the Tesla route, and this is like probably the only area where they didn't go the Tesla route, um, instead of trying to like make your own car production facility from scratch, you go to somebody else. Right. Um, and like somebody like Hyundai. Um, and why would you go to Hyundai? And the reason is Hyundai has proven themselves to be technologically advanced, even in their automobiles. Sure. You know, their economy vehicles, they're, they're very affordable cars, but they come, even their base models come packed with features that if you looked at a similarly equipped car made by Mercedes Benz or BMW, you're talking thousands of dollars of app options right. added on. Right. Like a base model BMW or a base model Mercedes Benz doesn't hold a candle to the technology packed in a base model Hyundai. <laughs> We're talking like a sub $20,000 car. It's right. absurd. So Apple saw that tech. Apple saw the the production facility for making automobiles. Mm -hmm. So they were like, we want this partnership. And how does it work out for Hyundai? Works out perfectly for Hyundai because 
for like the past at least two decades, Hyundai has been trying to establish themselves as uh, Hyundai Motors has been a, trying to establish themselves as a, uh, a a competitive automobile superpower. Right. Like you know, they make crazy affordable cars that are packed with features. Um, and even their luxury models, they have luxury models like yep. the Genesis right. and uh, their sister company, Kia, which is under the Hyundai family, mm-hmm. has the uh, the K900, the K800. Right. An absurd, like that's like an $80,000 car. Yep. They make luxury vehicles, but if you're willing to spend close to $100,000 on, even if the car is only $80,000 and it's potential and it has all the features and, 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 and luxuries of like a quarter million dollar car, right, like a, right. Ma- a Mercedes Benz Maybach, something like that. Yep. At the end of the day, people are going to look at it and be like, that's not a Maybach though. <laughs> yes. That's a Kia. Yes. You're you not going to say, wow, it's, that's it's a, a Hyundai. Kia. You're always going to like, look at it negatively. You know, you, you know, you're not, you're not going to wow anybody. Oh yeah. I draw a Hyundai. Now maybe that is your speed. Like maybe sure. you don't, you're, you're a more humble person and you right. want all those features, but you don't want to be noticed in which case those cars are for you. But Hyundai wants to be recognized as, you know, one of those those ultra premium cars. Right. They just they also want to flex the muscle, be like, we don't have to charge you for it either. <laughs> That's true. Um, so how do they how are they going to establish? They don't have the brand name. Who does? Apple. Right. Yep. There are people that buy the latest Apple good, not because they need it not because they appreciate the technology that goes into it just because it's the latest Apple and they want to flex that they're dumb enough to spend a thousand dollars on a phone to replace their six month old $950 (laughs) phone. You know, it's a, it's a match made in heaven. But anyway, I sold you all that to tell you this Hyundai, the company, Apple, a big edge technology company, uh, is, is is partnering with has done the same thing that tesla did sure and that was what te- what did tesla do um when they came out with the model three they were having experiencing panel gap issues which is which is cute because panel gap issues haven't been a thing since the 60s right since american muscle cars in the 60s <laughs> nobody's heard of panel gap issues since then and Tesla was having panel gap issues and it was because they were trying to push out a lot of these model threes, which is a very technologically advanced car and they're trying to make it cheap. And how do you make it cheap? You have advanced automation, uh, manufacture and assemble your vehicle. They needed Tesla needed a lot of robots, the robot OEMs and suppliers they were going to were not delivering either. They weren't delivering on time. They weren't delivering the number of robots they needed, or they were delivering robots that weren't performing to the performance spec that Tesla needed. What did Tesla do? Straight up bought some robot startups, (laughs) some small robot companies and be like, Tesla was came in there and was like, I am the captain now. <laughs> you're not making you're not making robots for anybody right. else. You're making robots for us. Right. We like right. like Tesla essentially became a robotics company sure. as well. Sure. But because they're so focused on electric vehicles, those robots aren't going in anywhere. Um, they're staying internal. Hyundai's followed suit, um, but to a much larger scale. Sure. Hyundai is has taken the page out of um tesla's book and be like let's do this right we're partnering with apple and let's do it more right right and so now hyundai's <laughs> hyundai's become in the last year 
a at least gunning to be a robot superpower. Sure. And now they're partnering with Apple. Right. Dude, Tesla's got to watch their back. <laughs> and I'm talking a lot about cars, but at the end of the day, we're coming right. back to robotics. Yep. And, and that's the highlight of 2020. And that's going to be something to look out for in 2021. And that is an interesting partnership story, right? You've got right Apple and Hyundai focusing purely on the car, but you mentioned, you know, uh, Hyundai corporate is big and massive, right? They've got robotics, they've got autonomous sections, they've got huge. There are, uh, you know, a bunch of different subsections, but, and the, uh, energy flow always comes back, comes back to robotics, right? All the technology that's, I would call the periphery, but real, realistically it's the, uh, the end goods of the products is very, very advanced. And yeah. it eventually either trickles back or it starts in robotics. We've got, uh, that's not the first company we're doing it. I was looking up, uh, NVIDIA, you know, we talked about those, uh, uh, NVIDIA produces uh, graphics processors for desktops, um, laptops, whatever. They also produce uh, workstation equipment for those doing analysis, uh, server-grade equipment. But also they opened up a robotics facility in uh, Washington State to focus in on uh, autonomous robotic operations. Um, so the the value of further automating or driving decision-making to the lowest level of the uh, process to the robot itself is a future state that everyone's trying to achieve because it makes uh, agile manufacturing uh, a reality, right? Being able to kind of des describe your process as you're manufacturing the process. So being able to um, define and create as a part's being created down the process. So the next step is being defined as the previous step is being complete is a potential future state, right? So being able to have the robot you know, make decisions on the fly and bringing in Apple and, you know, uh, you know, NVIDIA and all these really cutting edge companies to drive uh, the intelligence behind some of these decision making is really awesome. And don't get me wrong, where we are now, it's amazing. Going to IMTS and seeing how the robots behave by themselves and what we consider, you know, semi-autonomous, you know, they, they can, yeah. you know, using the current vision systems, taking a picture orientating the arm to pick up the part based on that image it's phenomenal right so yeah we've come a long way from having a fixed orientation for 99 percent of the parts to having fluid orientations and having high success rates of transferring the part to the next station it's it's amazing we're in yeah and, and, and self-awareness amongst robotics Absolutely. robots as well yeah we see you know vision systems that are looking over the entire cell so the cell can kind of describe and predict itself and provide uh, safety systems as humans interact uh, within that cell. Awesome, Steve. That was a great article. I got one on that's not quite as sexy, but still very relevant. Whatever. Uh, I ran across this through Street Insider. Uh, it's, it talks about extracting data from PDFs. So uh, let's, let's... Okay, boomer. <laughs> let's dial it back <laughs> a little bit. Uh, so, you know, raw data. Data is transmitted differently now than it has occurred, you know, 15 years ago. That's That's... That's an obvious statement, but the value of PDF still exists, right? So being able to transmit a CAD data. So if I've got a IGES file, hopefully everyone's stepping, moving towards step, transmitting a step file for my CAD data. A lot of times there's additional data that you want to incorporate. So see if you've got drawing notes or specifications or processing notes, those are probably going to be covered in a PDF. Uh, so being able to transmit that data and being able to ingest that data into a manufacturing process is super useful. So that's the first 
we'll say a modern use case. But if we dial it back even further, where maybe you have legacy parts that only exist as a PDF, so maybe you scanned a drawing or you did a uh. conversion at some point and it converted to a PDF and that CAD data disappeared or maybe you created a 2D model. So the, the PDF is now the original source data and you want someone to make something from that. Being able to convert that 2D PDF into something useful, it's fairly, fairly difficult. Um, in the article, they talk about um, a couple of people that have uh, stepped through it and you know, there's four or five steps of converting that PDF into something usable on the manufacturing floor, which, you know, to be fair, it's not the hardest thing to do, but it requires time and attention to make sure that the steps are done correctly and make sure everything's scaled properly because now you're converting that raw data and you've got to make sure that the one inch line is truly a one inch line after all these conversions, right? Oh, um, yeah. So this uh, company in the article covers it, Paperless Parts, talks about being able to take these 2D PDFs and being able to ingest it directly into their system and making dynamic measurements or a vectorization and analysis. So being able to take the data, so if I've got a box or a line, and being able to do quick measurements off that PDF uh, and then using those measurements for uh, quoting and uh, you know bids right away, uh, before you get into uh, you know, your manufacturing system, cuts a lot of time out of the upfront process that you can get to uh, chips being made quicker. So I thought it was very, very interesting to be able to take, you know, not just text PDF, but also uh, basically objects on a PDF, uh, converting that into usable data right away, as opposed to uh, risk taking and going through converting and uh, importing into a CAD system, verifying the scales are correct and, uh, making sure that the data is robust. Uh, there's an interesting quote from Dyson and Krupp on here about, um, uh, you know, the different steps that's required. So he's got to uh, take that digital PDF, uh, he pulls it into AutoCAD, transfer it to a programming software, then scaling it. Uh, all these multiple steps, you know, take away from the operator or the engineer that could be adding value to the system. So that's that's a key takeaway is that, you know, uh, getting data quicker so we can continue to add value to the system is adding value to the part is you know become more and more important nowadays and i thought that's that's great. that's crazy you know it's it's just wild taking a step back and thinking about you know just our respective generations right you know we've both existed before the internet and after the internet <laughs> sure. and that's already wild in itself like right. your daughter right. amelia is being raised after internet. Correct. She will never know a world without internet, right. unless something terrible happens, which I hope doesn't happen. Um, but, uh, you know, we've seen dial-up. We've seen, you know, no dial-up whatsoever. Sure. And you know, now we're, or, uh, and now prompts. we've got, you know, fiber going <laughs> into our homes. Um, but, uh, so, so we've 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 seen both sides of like you know the data transfer right. uh, uh, story, yep. if you would, but um, now <laughs> it's funny. This article is genuinely funny because it's like we've we're we're also a generation that is has teach has taught older generations how to open a PDF, and now we're teaching computers how to read PDFs <laughs> to know what's in there. Yeah, this is. It's just, it, it, I don't know. That's just my funny way of looking at it. Yeah. And it shows, I mean, the value of, so taking a step back even further, right? The PDF 
the concept of that PDF has existed for such a long time and it still continues yeah. to add value that, you know, getting to, you know, something else that'll last as long and add, continue to add value to the world and industry is pretty absurd to me, right? So it's the ability that we're still able to harness value from, you know, PDFs data and we'll probably still continue to generate this type of data for a long, long time. You know, you know, we still, I think, underestimate the, let's say, written flat 2D context, uh, flat 2D Word document that gets transferred with our uh, CAD data and I think, uh, you know, continue to be value added in the future. Uh, Steve, great episode, man. We covered a lot of different things. We talked about cutting edge autonomous machines and we talked about PDFs are still going to exist, man. They're still gonna, Dude. <laughs> we're still going to make money off PDFs. It's going to be great. This is this is really awesome. This has been an insightful uh, conversation. How about how about that turn of events, man? We started this episode totally loathing our existence in 2021, <laughs> and now, you know, just just talking for almost a half hour. I want to say a little more than a half hour now. It's like now I'm really looking forward to the rest of this year. Yeah, being, 2021 is going to be great. Being part of the manufacturing industry was one of the best career moves of my life. Ditto. Yeah, I can. I can genuine. I can really. I mean that. Yeah, I. I feel the same way. See, where can they find more info about us? Amtnews.org. That's it, right? Yes, that's it. You can really follow us even better, better than I can tell you to. <laughs> if you go to amtnews.org/slash/subscribe, look at all the info about us. You'll get you'll get notifications when we have a new podcast episode to hear more of this rant or rambling and uh, you can also read my uh, weekly tech reports that come out every uh, Friday. Yeah. That's the best way to keep your uh, finger on the pulse of the manufacturing industry. amtnews.org slash subscribe. Thanks Steve. Have a great episode. Thank you, Ben. Have a great rest of your year. Bye.